Hello, and welcome to Disinfect. This is the podcast where we air out the worst songs ever recorded. Developed and co-hosted by me, semi-esteemed journalist Matt Deal, along with co-creator, host at large, giant step marketing guru, and all-around music obsessive, Morris Bernstein. Hello. That's him. So our first season is devoted to the worst covers we could think of. Um, and today we're disinfecting perhaps the most awful rock rap cover ever. Um, I think rock rap covers in general sound like the most atrocious thing ever. Been a couple of good ones. What are you thinking? Well, Run DMC and Aerosmith, for example. Well, there that you was go. pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty iconic. Yes. And I think actually all of the all of the sort of the rock rap covers after that have sort of aped it in some way it, for mm -hmm. uh, for better or worse, yeah. mostly for worse. Um, but I would have to say the song that we're disinfecting today, uh, it's not only one of the worst covers, I think, ever. It's one of my least favorite songs of all time. It may be. I mean, it's in the top five of my least wow. favorite songs. It's supposed um, to be pretty bad then. And, well, I think you, <laughs> you, you know. Today we're going to take apart uh, Dynamite Hacks cover of Boys in the Hood by Easy e And it's, it's unspeakable. By the way, we have some special guests for this episode. Um, they're going to come up later in the program. Rappers Murs and Slug, um, both great artists in their own right, and um, and members of the duo Felt, who have a great new album called Felt For You out just now. We interviewed them about Boys in the Hood, both the Dynamite Hack version and the significance of the Easy e original. So, uh, yeah, hang out for that. Um, Trigger warning. You are going to hear white people using the N word in uh, not not from us, but uh, in the music. It's it's one of the things that makes it really terrible. I think one thing to think about is is it cool for a rock band to cover a rap song? Is it automatically a problem? Is it something that shouldn't be done? What do you think, Morris? Well, I think it also depends on who the artists are. I mean, I think the Chili Peppers have done a pretty good job at sometimes sort of merging the two, and in fact, they. They'd used uh, the track Boys in the Hood in, in some of their live shows, um, covering themselves. So, again, it just depends on how it's getting done. Um, but I would agree with you that, um, I, I mean, I'd never even heard of uh, this band before uh, or their cover, thank goodness. But uh, unfortunately, you've made me listen to it and I'm forever scarred. <laughs> Um, I'm here to I'm here to scar you, Morris. This is, this is what <laughs> I, I do. I wasn't told I'd be uh, scarred, but I am scarred. Well, All you right. are British. You, you get off that <laughs> shit. Um, in terms of of sacrilege, though, um, the original "Boys in the Hood" by Eazy E, it's it's kind of iconic because it's actually sort of the song where the group N.W.A. came together. It's essentially the song that launched the careers of N.W.A. Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, obviously Easy E, um, Arabian Prince, Arabian Prince, yes, an electro god, as it were, who has who has made some of the best and worst songs of all time. I'm I'm a big Arabian Prince fan, um, and I and what's interesting about this song is to me, and and I think to a lot of people, it's it's iconic because it's come to mean something as a sort of a generational milestone. 
Um, obviously, there's been a film, Boys in the Hood, that's named after it. Um, and I think that that is, that is one of the most crucial uh, films in, in new black cinema. You know, um, it's, it's, it's a classic. Although, Easy e once said about Boys in the Hood, the movie, and I just, I just love this because it's funny. He said it reminded him of a Monday after school special with cussing. So not I, I personally like it better than Easy E, but there's no question it's a it's a generational milestone. Um, what was big about Boys in the Hood in terms of its artistic importance was it actually was one of the first films of the '90s to really kind of show inner city life in a way that was sort of socially uncompromising. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it also was kind of the movie that sort of announced hip hop as as really a truly a mainstream uh, force. I mean, hip hop always sold a lot of records, but it, it's funny until, until the nineties, an artist, you know, would sell like millions and millions of records and be considered an underground artist. And boys in the hood had made sort of hip hop again, generational. Yeah. It, 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 I, uh, there was no movie. I don't think before that, that named itself after a hip hop song. Um, there were movies that starred rappers, but they didn't really act, mm -hmm. you know. And and uh, some of the some of the reviews kind of compared it to Stand by Me at, for sort of the mm -hmm. African American experience. Um, right, a coming of age movie. Totally. So Boys in the Hood by Easy sort of took on this importance, um, and also the song itself describes mm -hmm. like a like a typical day in Compton, right. where Easy is from, and N.W.A. was born. Um, Boys in the Hood, the movie is 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 pretty serious mm -hmm. and, on a lot of levels. I mean, there's definitely laughs, but Boys in the Hood, the song is like all over the place. Like it described a, a lot of like inner city life in Compton, um, but at the same time, it was sort of like a fantastical version of it, kind of filtered through Easy E's perspective. It was it was not um, reportage, and I think that's it, it. Sort of added art to it, mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of that actually comes from from Ice Cube. Ice yep. Cube wrote the lyrics. It, it's it's probably the first big song that Ice Cube wrote. Uh, but he ghost wrote it. Yeah. Well, yeah, he doesn't rap on it. Oh, so so again, the other the other thing that really makes this song sort of iconic is they actually recreated this the creation of the song in the movie Straight Outta Compton. Yeah. So it's such a huge marker in hip hop history that it, I mean, it literally, you know, it's it's essentially the inspiration for two movies that are, again, some of the most iconic African American films ever made. Um, and what wasn't it originally um, actually written for a East Coast rap band and they rejected yes. it? HBO. HBO. Yeah, HBO. Yeah, uh, Easy E had started the record label Ruthless and he'd signed Ruthless them with HBO. Jerry Heller. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys came in from New York and Ice Cube wrote this song for them. And this and the lyrics are just very L.A. There's no getting around it. And so they, they're like, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't think this is really us. And which is pretty, you know, little did they know they were turning down like a Dr. Dre beat. They didn't have any idea who Dr. Right. Dre was. Right. Um, well, he wasn't really a doctor then. He was. Um, he was a, he was still a medical, medical student. School yeah, yeah. For medical actually, student, no. Yeah. He, Dre was actually in the band um, World Class Wrecking Crew, who were kind mm -hmm. of an electro LA LA outfit. Um, but NWA was sort of like where he found his sort of artistic voice, his sound. And, yeah. And this song in particular, it's sort of the bridge from the era 
that preceded it, kind of the Run DMC era, to the golden mm-hmm. age of hip hop that NWA would really be um, at the forefront of. You know, right. I, I'm thinking Eric B and Rakim. I'm thinking Public Enemy. 1987, when this song came out, I mean, for me, is the most important years for hip hop. So <clears throat> hip hop was everywhere uh, on the streets. And yeah, it was Eric B and Rakim. It was um, Boogie Down Productions. It was LL Cool J. It was Cool Modi. It was EPMD. Uh, Jazzy Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I mean, just Abyss Marquee. Nobody beats the Nobody beats the Biz. Came out that year. Incredible, incredible, iconic hip hop songs, and it was all mainly East Coast. Um, so it, this was sort of like also when the the shift was also happening as well. You know, um, I remember finding like Ice T's first album in in eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, and I was like. Hip hop from Los Angeles? Really? These are like these are songs that still today are like massive smashes. Um, Salt and Pepper, Push It came out in '87. Um, an amazing year for hip hop. Um, What's really cool about this song in terms of hip hop history is Ice Cube talked about his inspirations for this song, and so he said, you know, he was really influenced by Ice T's uh, song Six Six in the Morning, which is kind of like. It's one of the. It's it's a really early sort of gangster rap song where he takes he takes the listener through a story. It has a, a real narrative, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And he also is influenced by Schooly D, uh, mm-hmm. PSK. What does it mean? Uh, a gangster, early gangster rap classic from Philadelphia. And then, in terms of storytelling as well, especially in this song, you can hear a lot of um, Slick Rick and and KRS One, especially Slick Rick though. Slick Rick really told a story in his songs. And I think I think the other thing that 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 Ice Cube took from Slick Rick is kind of like this fairy tale, almost children's rhyme structure. Uh, and then he added in like totally not children like content. You know what I mean? So it has this kind of playful narrative that sucks you in and this kind of flow. And then you're like, huh. He's talking about some fucked up shit. That was really clever. And so Ice Cube was sort of taking all that East Coast influence. And really for the first time, L.A. was kind of making a sound of its own. Yeah. You started to hear the really the early roots of that L.A. sound that would then really just like dominate hip hop. Totally. And I mean, it's funny. Boys in the Hood still has like those, like the kind of the drum machines that you think of from like Run DMC. It hasn't totally gotten to those like super graceful sample delic kind of Dr. Dre productions, but it bangs. It bangs like like a Dr. Dre song. And then also an interesting thing about it stylistically too, is, and we'll hear this is Ice Cube and Dr. Dre used to like make mixtapes that they sell at swap meets, and they would take like the instrumentals of of rap hits and sort of just rap over them and sort of and and r- rhyme about their neighborhoods. They didn't really take it seriously. It was like something you just like sell at the swap meet and this record sort of takes that aesthetic it, it sort of brings in all these samples that were contemporary of the day and that that's pretty revolutionary so you're really getting the genesis of ice cube you're really getting dr dre forming his sonic fingerprint and then easy e is kind of fascinating too like we were talking about how he wasn't supposed to rap on it in the first place i hope i don't get crucified for saying this like easy e is like the best terrible rapper ever 
they showed him straight out of Compton. Like it takes forever for them to record the song. It's like line by line. There's some awkward flow in there. But what this song did was it created this icon of Easy E. It created this persona. You know, like he inhabited that. And uh, any unique delivery as well. His voice sounded crazy. I mean, it was like, I think it was like kind of the first African-American voice to kind of almost sound like the Beastie Boys. I don't know if anybody's ever said that before. It was like so irritating in a great way. It was really confrontational. Um, he became a rapper on that song, not a rapper like Ice Cube. When you heard that voice, it was like, oh, shit, you know. That's what's funny about N.W.A. Actually, uh, Dr. Dre doesn't write his own lyrics, and Eazy E never wrote his own lyrics. But as rappers, they they have great you know voices, great flows, pretty incredible. Should we uh, listen to the track? Why don't we uh, Why don't we check out Boys in the Hood, the original? <laughs> <laughs> hey yo, man, you remember that shit Easy did a while back? Motherfucker said one gonna work. Word. That old crazy shit. Yeah, the stupid shit, shit man. Dope. Hey, yo, easy. Hey, man, we should come off the piano for a minute, man, and bust this crazy shit. Woke up quick at about noon. Just thought that I had to be in Compton soon. I gotta get drunk before the day begins. Before my mother starts bitching about my friends. About to go and damn near went blind. The bass. Gang signs ran in the house and grabbed my clip with the Mac 10 on the side of my hip. Bailed outside and pointed my weapon just as I thought the fools kept stepping. Jumped in the foe, hit the juice on my ride. I got front and back and side to side. Then I let the Alpine play, play, bumping new shit by NWA. It was gangster, gangster at the top of the list. Then I played my old shit, it went something like this. Cruising down the street in my 6'4", jocking the bitches, slapping the hoes, went to the park to get the scoop, knuckleheads out there, cold shooting some hoops. A car pulls up, who can it be? A fresh Dr. Dre has to be the Picasso of hand claps, for sure. He could build a whole career just on those hand claps. Well, he did. <laughs> he did, exactly. There's also World Class Wrecking Crew, which is Dre's uh, first band. He sort of, you know, it's funny, he's like mixing in a little like reference to himself, which is so hip hop. The silly motherfucker pulls out a deuce deuce. Little did he know I had a loaded 12 gauge. One sucker dead LA Times front page. Cause the boys in the hood are always hard. You come talking that trash, we'll pull your car. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, cause I ain't said shit. Boy, sample. Boy, as 
hell and I wanna get ill. So I went to a spot where my homeboys chill. The fellas out there making that dollar. I pulled up in my 6-4 Impala. They greet me with a 40 and I start drinking. And from the eight ball, my breath starts sticking. Left to get my girl to rock that body. Before I left, I hit the buck party. Went to a house to get her out of the pad. Dumb hoe said something that made me mad. She said something that. Couldn't believe, so I grabbed a stupid bitch by a nappy ass weed. Started talking shit, wouldn't you know? Reached back like a pimp, slapped the hoe. My father jumped up and he started to shout, so I threw a right across and knocked his old ass out. 'Cause the boys in the hood are always hard. You come talking that trash, we'll pull your car. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, 'cause I ain't said shit. <laughs> Gene Knight, Mr. Big Stuff. Mm-hmm. Great sample, classic. Mm-hmm. Hello, Cool J sample. Now under control, then wrap the six four around a telephone pole. I looked at my car and I said, "Oh brother," I throw it in the gutter and go buy another. Walking home and I see the G ride. Now Cat is driving Kilo on the side as they busted a U. They got pulled over, an undercover cop in a dark green Nova. Cat got beat for resisting arrest. He socked a pig in the head for ripping his guest. Now G is caught for doing the crime. Fourth offense on the boy, he'll do some time. 'Cause the boys in the hood are always hard. You come talking that trash, we'll pull your cart. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, 'cause I ain't said shit. <laughs> That's the, that's the Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam uh, Real Rock Sand sample. I went to get them out, but there was no bail. The fellas called the ride in the county jail. Two days later, in municipal court, Kilo G on trial, cold cutter for destruction of the court. Said the judge, on a six-year sentence, my man didn't budge. Bailiff came over to turn him in. Kilo G looked up and gave a grin. He yelled out fire. Then came Susie. The bitch came in with a submachine Uzi. Police shot the bitch, but didn't hurt her. Upstate for attempted murder, 'cause the boys in the hood are always hard. You come talking that trash, we'll pull your car. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, 'cause I ain't said shit. Yeah, I kicked a little ass, but that was a blast from the past, motherfucker. No, that ends with um, "I'll Take You There" by the by the oh, Staples Singers. Oh, that's right. I'll take you there by the uh, Staples Singers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a really fun song to go through and and, and figure out what the samples are. Um, mm -hmm. For sure, pretty devastating. What's interesting about that song is we almost didn't say anything because what are you gonna what are you gonna do? Talk over Easy E? You know what I mean? This song is funny. I mean, it. I mean, when I listen to it, it kind of takes my breath away a little bit. You know, like, 
It takes my breath away. That song? Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Did we got to disinfect that song. <laughs> oh, yes. God, awful. Um, like, this song sounds so aggro today. I mean, in 1987, in the 80s, this song sounded like a stick of dynamite. And controversial, you know what I mean? Like, there is, like, the artistry of, of Ice Cube in there, too that's starting to come out. I mean, it's it's deceptive in that way. There's something that's so interesting about this song, which is it was so specific in its references. It's almost like documentary about life in Compton mm -hmm. through the eyes of the narrator. But then it's also like so outrageous. So he's like this kind of superhero. It's a fantasy, yeah. But it's like confusing in a cool way, like the the blend between fantasy and reality. It's a, really an Ice Cube trademark. And the, the turntablism, I mean, is ridiculous. You know, again, it's that evolution from like Grandmaster Flash. And what was so cool in that song is he scratched in a bunch of, you know, breakbeat classics like Mr. Big Stuff. Mm -hmm. But then he also brought in contemporary records of the day, like Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Mm -hmm. You know, not a lot of records that like reference what's going on around them, you know, that was really kind of radical. But again, I think that, that it was like taking that, that uh, swap meet kind of mixtape thing and actually putting it on a record. Right. You know, you know, that was a LA style um, and, you know, in a, in a kind of underground way. And then Dr. Dre figured out, okay, I'm just going to put this style onto a record. And it was like, it was over. It's so confrontational, this song. You know what I mean? Like you break it down, it is offensive. It's like the Sex Pistols. It is challenging you. It, it, it offends almost everybody in the song. And you kind of get sucked into it. You know what I mean? It's almost like a, like a Clint Eastwood movie or something. Like you're like, you know, I can't believe I'm like dancing to like, you know, a guy getting his head shot off. Yeah, I mean... You didn't hear that sort of language in any of the other contemporary music out there. It was a real watershed. It was rude. And also, too, like at the time, the young black male was like really vilified in the in, in the press by politicians, you know, mm -hmm. as, as something to be feared. And so to have have easy E sort of turn it around and like make, you know, really like be aggressive in that way was at the at the time it was like he it was a real like fuck you to the establishment you know this is a real anti-establishment record um you know we think of dr dre as being sort of like just part of the fabric of, of pop culture but yeah i mean this was iconoclastic crazy stuff yes it's also it was, it was actually way more aggressive and violent than the new york hip-hop you know it was way more graphic Mm -hmm. uh, you know, really specific about gang life. Um, and yeah. that was just new. And it was also, I think, cinematic in an L.A. way. Mm -hmm. It really painted like a picture. And that was the thing about the, the movie Boys in the Hood is, you know, it's like sunny and then they come upon a body. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're like pulled out of that whole L.A. suburban sunny vibe. Mm -hmm. Um and that's kind of what the song does. This is also a, a moment where 
it's really making some outlaw shit sound cool as fuck. Mm-hmm. Women would dance this song, and, and you know he's talking about beating women. Uh, you're a pacifist. I'm a pacifist. Talking about killing people with guns, but you're sucked up into it. You know, again, like a movie. So, and very much like the Sex Pistols, it like challenged your belief system. Mm-hmm. You know, it it went for the thing that in in that time period was the scariest most um threatening thing to the middle class establishment culture you know and like easy e was like johnny rotten yeah he was like a countercultural figure if you if you wanted to piss off your parents you'd play an easy e record yeah it is not your parents music no. and, and and there's all that's all there's always that great moment in generations where that happens you know what i mean like the sex pistols like the, what's the what's the sort of the silicon valley term for it disruption mm-hmm Gangster rap was a disruption. Mm-hmm. Like Run DMC, they didn't really rap about stuff like that. You know, Public Enemy was dangerous, but it was like socially aware. Jungle Brothers were Afrocentric. This was like, fuck it, we're gangsters, and it, there was just nothing like that mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And and also, people didn't really realize how tough LA of, of right. Of, yeah, because tough. yeah, because you think because there's palm trees, there's nice weather, and Everyone's, everyone's chilling that it's kind of like easy, but you know, it's not. Yeah, you heard records like this and you heard the underbelly that you weren't seeing in the popular culture. Right. And that was just awesome, you know? But it was also, it like implicated you. You're like, I'm rocking to this and is this misogynistic? Those records make you sort of question societal mores. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's a before and an after mm-hmm. with these kind of records. Getting into like the 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 terrible cover of this song by Dynamite Hack, young white kids started discovering records like this, and they're like, they thought it was cool, and then they started singing along. This was an era where like these rap records made like racial slurs sound cool, you know what I mean? Sound like slang, and not everybody could use that slang. Uh, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. You know, and that was the thing is you'd be in the club and you're singing along and it's like, oh, no, do not sing that line. Yeah. You know, and that. But that's an ongoing issue with with where music has gone, to be honest with you. That was like the countercultural thing. It was like, this is real African-American counterculture. And but it's appealing to everybody because it's it's so undeniable. And and so people kind of felt a license to kind of step into those shoes when they really didn't have the license, you know, because MTV was blasting it into their house. So maybe that's me. Maybe I can, maybe I can take on a little bit of this identity, even though I'm living in the suburbs. Right. I can go buy a tracksuit. Um, and it, 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 that's what kind of was dangerous about it in a way. And it, it, again, it was like, it was like you either, you knew or you didn't know. Right. And it kind of separated the people that did and didn't know. Yeah, then it went to the suburbs, and then um, all the things you're talking about started happening. But what I, the one thing I was going to say, though, was that was the moment when hip-hop invaded the suburbs. They actually discovered that something like 80% of NWA sales were to, like, white suburban were kids. Were white kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it was like, this was not, a phenomenon that was that had like a gate on it this was like it just went everywhere yeah yeah like and and you know again 
it's not a surprise that a group like Dynamite Hack would cover this song. Oh, it is. What's that? <laughs> it, once people hear it, though, I think we should play the song because I, I have a, a lot of thoughts about it. So oh, God, I don't yeah. want to ruin it for people. <laughs> you, you can't unhear what you're about to hear. Uh, uh, I, I, can I can I just say apologies just before we actually put it on? I apologize for this. It is it is one of the most gr grotesque covers I think in pop culture history. And in fact, you know we'll get we'll get to it. But like, it actually appears on on lists like the fifty worst songs of the two thousands. I mean, this is really bad music i think that i think that's actually quite uh quite nice saying it's 50 all right 50 is generous it's i think it's in my top five least favorite songs of all time it's so offensive all right so i think i think let's disinfect uh dynamite hack yeah. boys in the hood yeah let's do it woke up quick at about noon. just thought that i had to be in compton soon i gotta get drunk for the embarrassing before my mother starts bitching about my friends to go and damn near went blind Young niggas on the path throwing up gang signs Literally, I think it's literally 15 seconds before this guy says the N-word On the side of my head Unbelievable outside and I pointed my weapon Just as I I don't think this guy's ever seen a weapon I jumped in the floor I mean, Texas is an open carry state and back, side to side Then I let the Alpine play I, I hate it when white people, like, when, when, they, like when they try to be black, they start getting the really aggro. The then I play my own shit, I win something like this. Cruising down the street in my six-fold. The distorted Beck voice is such a cliche of the 2000s. What, the bullhorn? Yeah. It's the bullhorn. The hallmark of all bad alternative rock. It's a fresh El Camino rolling kilo G. Rolls down the window and he starts most anemic say, Caucasian delivery ever. Cause the boys in the hood This guy makes James Taylor hard. sound hood. Talking that trash and we'll pull your car. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, I ain't said shit. Oh my God, it's so saccharine. It's not even that funny. Bored as hell, you know what I mean? And I wanna get Ill. So I go to a place where my homeboys chill. Bella's out there trying to make that dollar. I pulled up in the six fall impala. Greet I think that, that line is really jive. It just sounds from the ridiculous. I gotta get my girl to rock that body. Before I left, I hit the book hard. By the way, the, the guitars, the they got a cease and desist for ripping off Blackbird. Oh, the ends when they the end they rip off blackbird i mean there's no justification for this well there's no justification to do it in the first place but i mean just but, but look there's no justification for them to do the song period <laughs> again apologies for putting people through this but to be legit Don't quote me, boy I ain't said shit I mean, so offensive That might be the most offensive moment The jive folk rock I mean, this this sort of folk soft rock It's like yacht rock This is the Blackbird part, right? It's like the Crosby, Stills and Nash moment Yeah Scored a key, he's gonna fly, punk ass fly. 
It's like Gary Newman without a life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like James Taylor without the James Taylor. <laughs> With, without yeah. a Taylor. Just James. <laughs> it's like they're challenging the listener, like, how white can we go? I mean, so offensive. They played this shit on MTV. They played this shit on alternative radio. And it's like supposed to be a joke, but Well the the whole thing's supposed to be a joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not funny though. It's it's this is this music is like the equivalent of when white people talk and they don't think African Americans can hear them. They're like, Do you know how fucked up you sound with your cultural privilege? I'm just astonished by that. Yep. The awfulness. Well, I only have one question and that is why. <laughs> why why did why did they do that? Why did a few guys from Texas, suburban Texas? They're trying to be like NWA, but it, it's more like uh, CWA, Crackers Without Attitude. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, There's a band called Cracker, right? Oh, yeah. Cracker. And actually, called, what's funny, yeah. the band called Cracker, I think, is an influence on this band, funnily enough. Wow. I'd never even heard this. I've listened, I'd never even heard of this band before Matt played it to me. So, I, I mean, I, I'm learning with you all, and uh, the, my, that's why my question is, why? What, what did you think when I first what, made whose you? Whose idea was this? Who greenlit this? This was actually so popular in Texas, where this band is from. It was number one phones. The terrible radio references. Mm -hmm. so when they say it's number mm -hmm. one phones, it's like it's the top request. And I think it was, it was the top request for like... A month, like the number one song wow. on whatever terrible what format? Alternative radio, al alternative rock. What's funny about <laughs> about Morris is, I would be shocked if he's heard like one entire alternative rock album in full. I, I, I name one. I'll tell you if I've heard Probably it. Probably never mind by Nirvana. You've gotten through all of it. Yes, I've heard that. Yes, that's a generational yeah. classic. Okay, any any others? Uh, well, you mentioned the Red Hot Chili Peppers earlier. I, I, I still don't understand that term. I'm well, sorry. I think I think uh, like ever since that first wave of alternative rock, the major labels were like, "How do we how do we bottle this? How do we how do we like codify this?" Um, I mean, this song really was a huge modern rock hit. I feel like I I heard it on the radio or on MTV. And they left in all the slurs. I, I remember being so shocked. It was like a it was like a frat boy joke that someone nobody said no. You know what I mean? But it, but it, it but it was a joke. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, they you told me about this song. I did watch the video, and the video is is obviously done tongue in cheek. Although there's. Yeah, yeah, no, they're making fun of their whiteness, but... But it's not funny. You don't want to hear about a, a white guy grabbing someone's weave. Correct. You know what I mean? That's just right. wrong. Well, actually, it, what's funny in the video, which is so fucked up, I mean, people, if you can stand it, go watch this video. Because it's essentially like a Snoop and Dre gin and juice video, mm -hmm. but everybody's dressed up in tennis Tennis, uh, tennis all, sweaters. Yeah, they're, in, yeah, they're playing croquet, yeah, golfing attire. They kind of uh, they they re they sort of redo the um, California Love video, but with golf carts. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. 
It kind of looks like a. Do you know what Derby Day is? Do you know what that is? Uh, I probably know Derby Day. Derby. I don't know. Again, we're talking to a Brit here. Um, Derby Day is when Southerners celebrate the Kentucky Derby. The Derby. The Derby is a horse race. What the hell are you talking it's a derby. about? Derby. What? This is Northern England people. This is not English. No, it's it's just it's just we just it's like it's like you. It's the Derby, which is a horse race. The Derby, so, the Kentucky Derby. When it happens, Derby, Derby. Oh my God! The Kentucky Derby. Fucking Mancunians! <laughs> Jesus Christ! What have I got myself into <laughs> linguistically? Um, so, whenever the the whenever the Kentucky Derby happens, Derby. Like, oh my God! Stop him now, Jesus! Turn off his mic, someone. Um, when the Kentucky D event happens, there's like kind of barbecues and parties mm -hmm. where everybody dresses up in their Sunday best. Like like in the video, like they're all wearing like plaid pants and madras and they all get smashed mm -hmm. on mint juleps mm -hmm. and play croquet. And, you know, it's a really Southern white mm -hmm. thing. They barbecue. What do they barbecue? Well, I think in the video they're barbecuing, you know, uh, right. the flesh of animals. As, as oh, oh, that's right. In the video, it's like the guys um, you think he's on the turntable, but he's barbecuing. Yeah, it's obviously tongue in cheek, right. but right. the wrong cheek. Right. The year two thousand. That was when they didn't want to sign Nirvana. Mm -hmm. They wanted to sign something safe. Mm -hmm. It sounded alternative, but it was safe. It was not Jane's Addiction talking about drugs it was not pearl jam talking about being tortured it was like how about dynamite hack covering boys in the hood and you know what i hate about this song is it just thinks it's it's speaking to one audience mm -hmm. it's essentially assuming that like black people don't exist right. this song peaked at number 12 on well, the billboard right, modern rock I, I don't i don't even know what modern rock is i would say though in terms of like Alternative rock, modern rock. This makes me like nostalgic for Smash Mouth. Okay. This makes Smash Mouth sound like Sergeant Peppers. <laughs> These guys were yeah. all at the weenie roast, I'm sure. Roasting their weenies. I never yes. understood well, that I, either. You know. Why do you roast a weenie? <laughs> Who comes up with this nonsense? I, I, I feel bad for listeners in a sense because it, it, mm -hmm. we're just befuddled. I mean, who thought this was a good idea? It, it hurts my head to think about it. What's the most offensive part of the song for you? Uh, no, is it, is uh, it the, N -word? the first notes. This was 20 years ago. Like cultural mores change. But I don't think this was okay 20 years ago. I don't think this was cool ever. No. And also, too, if you're going to tell a joke, it better be funny. No. This is not funny. You know, um, something that, something that African-Americans hate is when white people say, I have black people in my family, but um, I have black people in my family. And I'm offended by this because it's like talking about my family. Do you know what I mean? This is like, this is hurtful to me. It's painful to me. This group is like, it's like the reverse version of the Otis Day in the night scene in Animal House. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Can you imagine if like a bunch of like African-Americans walked in and a white group was playing this song? I mean, the, you'd have to you'd have to kill them on the spot and it'd be justifiable homicide. 
I, I mean, there's just no, there's just no going back. I did a little research into this group. Their main influences, I shit you not, are U2, Depeche Mode, The Cure, Richard Marks, and Air Supply. I, and, and, so I, I would say if this was a recipe to, to make up the band, I would say it is 90% Richard Marks and Air Supply and uh, 1% U2 and whoever else you said. For the sake of journalism, I actually listened to the entire oh, Dynamite God. Hack album that this song appears on. And it is the most banal rock music. It is so dull. I, it is, it's like Weezer without the wheeze. Um, they're, they're also, they, a lot of people cited um, Bare Naked Ladies as an influence, which I don't ever think is a positive no. thing necessarily. There's this moment in that sort of circa 2000 period where they really wanted to make an alternative rock safe. Alternative rock. Yeah. And there was this kind of like, yeah, I know your favorite term. They made it like wacky. It was like, it was like, you know, like, like wacky, like Bare Naked Ladies was wacky. And wacky plus the N-word is stupid. And grabbing someone's weave. To me, this version is way more violent than the Easy <laughs> e song. It makes you want to be more violent than the Easy e song. Um, do you know where the name Dynamite Hack comes from? Yes, uh, Caddyshack. Yes, it's a line from Caddyshack where they ask, I think Bill Murray is smoking a joint, and, and he says, yeah. what are you smoking? He goes, Dynamite Hack. And he says that to Chevy Chase, right? Yes. And do you know who che what band Chevy Chase, you know who Chevy Chase used to be the drummer for? Who? Steely Dan. Steely Dan? He went to college. He went to Bard with, uh, with uh, Donald and Walter, who got thrown out of Bard, hence never going back to my old school, the song. And they right. had a band up there, and Chevy Chase was their drummer. It's required that we mention both Steely Dan and Whitesnake in every episode of right. um, Disinfect. <laughs> It's happened every single. Well, we got Steely Dan in, so where's White Snake? I just did it. I just did it. Let's let's. We really have to go deep into why this song is bad. I feel like we're dancing around it like a like a like a sports wound in a way. I think the one thing about it is it it assumes a cultural privilege. I think it's probably the most offensive thing about it for real. This is racism on wax. This is fucked up. That's my one beef. And then the other thing is it's racism de delivered in the most banal vehicle ever. It's easy listening racism. And the other thing too is, is the easy E track. It's a Dr. Dre song. Sonically, it's incredible. He's the Picasso of hand claps. The 808 kick is so in your face. It is art, whether you want it to be or not. You just, it is undeniable. And then this, they're, they, you know, the, the joke is that they're shaving all that away, right? They're, they're replacing it with mm -hmm. acoustic guitars and soft harmonies. Mm -hmm. But then it's so banal. Oh, it just, it's, it's hurting my head. I start to think about it and like, I, 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 I start to like throw up inside a little bit. I feel the bile coming up from my stomach. And, you know, I'm just in shock. I mean, it, it is so much more shocking to me than, than anything that NWA and Eazy-E did. 
that, that this was on the radio. By the way, they didn't they wouldn't play Eazy E and NWA on the radio either. Talk about double standards. Right. They didn't play this song on the radio until a white yeah. group did it. That yeah. is fucked up. I remember hearing it and they did not take out the offensive lyrics. I love they got sued for for bringing in Blackbird. If there's anything clever about it is they sort of sampled Blackbird in the melody. That was sort of incongruous in an ingenious way. You know, and then they got sued in the way that rap groups got sued for sampling. Right. I, I have to really commend whatever oligarch owned the Beatles catalog at that time for suing the shit out of them. You know, probably Michael Jackson, because Michael Jackson bought the Beatles catalog. And when he bought the Beatles catalog, he found out that he'd also bought Little right. Richard's catalog as well. And when he found that out, he gave Little Richard his catalog That's back so cool. for nothing. I mean, and by the way, I found the one interview with Dynamite Hack on the internet. The one. The I could not find any <laughs> others. And it is, we will get to it because it is, it is offensive. You know, a, a rock band covering a rap song, it, it's kind of, it, it is kind of like a litmus test. You know, like they get all aggro during certain parts. And it's, it, it kind of shows you what they, what they really think about people. Mercifully, they, they skipped an entire verse. Thank God. You know, this is this is one moment where, on the one hand, it destroys the integrity of the cover song. On the other hand, thank God it didn't go on any fucking longer than it, it could have. Let's break down where it went wrong. The high concept aspect of it is so one note. We're going to do a folk rock version of Boys in the Hood. An alternative folk rock version. <laughs> It's like a reverse walk this way. How does that sound good? How does that sound like something you want to do, let alone hear? We're finding this out when we're talking about these songs and, you know, is, do you know who really is to blame? Who? The A&R man. <laughs> this and, and all the others is the A&R man. So we need to find out who that A&R man was and we will shame them. Somebody signed them. Yes, but I think what you're touching on is there's a crassness to to that aspect of the music industry where something like this is taking off and instead of turning and running, you embrace it because it's selling. Mm -hmm. Of course. And, you, and, and by doing so, you're institutionalizing some really fucked up shit. Well, that's the record business. Just to, just to demonstrate the kind of people that made this record... I'm going to read a little bit from the interview, the one interview I could find. Okay. It's kind of telling, you know, on the one hand, can you really like review music from someone's interview? Maybe not, but this is fucked up. Uh, well, number one, they have a song called Dear Kate, where they make fun of Kate Moss's breasts. Insulting Kate Moss about her breasts is both sexist and stupid. It's like insulting chocolate for being delicious. It's fucked up. This is sort of the frat boy level of of this band. They literally write songs that about how Kate Moss's breasts are not good enough for their consumption. This is their original song, but this was the part of the interview. I think it was I forget. I think it was with the lead singer. So, are any of you married 
or are you able to enjoy the fruits of touring? We are all enjoying the fruits of touring, although most of our fans are like 14-year-old girls. Really? So you have to check IDs. They are cute and I like to look, but the worst thing is they look like they're 20. I know. Fuck, it's insane. I'm like, that girl has to be 21 and she's like 15. You've got to get your manager to check the ID. We have to get a copy of the age of consent law for every state. I heard there is a website where they have the age of consent on it for every state. No way, dude. You've got to give it to me. I need to know. Damn, I need to get a hold of that. God, I've got to find that because this situation has presented itself. I mean, they were talking about some state where, like, it's 14. I was like, what the hell? It's 17 in Texas. So, like, I don't know. But it's, like, young in Arkansas. This guy is talking about trying to get with underage women in an interview. You know, I mean, we're beyond this as a culture. I think it's relevant. It's like, that's the mentality that thinks this kind of shit is funny. I mean, this, it's, it's really like your worst idea of a frat boy, a white frat boy, ma making music. It's like, it's a Rorschach test. You know, one thing that I think that we, that we focused on um, in Disinfect is with cover songs, how did the original artist feel about the song? It was pretty tough to find anything about NWA and this song and how they felt about it. Except in this one interview, this, this, this shroud of Turin, the only remaining evidence of Dynamite Hack, interviewer asked, so were Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, and the rest cool with it? I mean, they get money from the publishing. And this is what the guy from Dynamite Hack said. I heard MC Ren is mad. We've heard Dre likes the song and Cube heard it. Ren seems to think the original was like some bombastic jet plane and this is some prop plane. It's his right to have his own opinion. It's upsetting because I want them all to like it. So, you know, what is good about the song? Nothing. The end. <laughs> <laughs> so, this song in particular shows up a lot in sort of surveys of worst cover songs, worst songs. Here at Disinfect, we do serious research. If, we, if we're going to nominate something to be bad music, it just can't be like, we think it's bad. I mean... Yes, it can sometimes, but for the most part, we really do some serious investigative work to find out the badness. So I found it actually, in, I think I mentioned before, it made the 50 worst songs of the thousands in the Village Voice. So this is, this is what the Village Voice had to say. This is the critical analysis they had of Dynamite Hacks Boys in the Hood cover. To call it a one note gag would be a disservice to both notes and gags. If it were a note, it would be the final note in the Price is Right sad trombone tune. Also, it would not be played by a trombonist, but literally farted out of the sphincter of a just-hanged Saddam Hussein, the morose poot representing his twitching body's last involuntary movement. That's a pretty unfiltered reaction about this song. Uh, and I, I, I would be offended if I was Saddam Hussein for even being associated <laughs> with the song. Just to get a little extra point of view on Boys in the Hood and its translation into a crappy alt-rock pseudo-hit, um, I reached out to Murs, the great independent rapper. Um, I reached out to Murs in particular because he is a child of the Southern California hip-hop scene that birthed N.W.A. N.W.A. was so iconic to him growing up. Also had in the interview Slug, uh, Murs' partner in the group Felt, 
Slug, of course, is another great independent rapper from Minneapolis. And between the two of them, I thought we would really get to the bottom of the true whackness or not of Dynamite Hacks, Boys in the Hood. Um, I'm doing this podcast called Disinfect, where we, we, we air out bad music. And we have a special episode devoted to Dynamite Hacks cover of um, Boys in the Hood. And I felt, Is wow. that why you made me listen to that fucking thing? Yes. Yeah, thanks. Jesus Christ. I was very disappointed. Had you never heard it before? Yeah, that's... Nope. Never. And I'll never hear it again. Tell me about. Tell me your reaction to it. I mean, just in general, anytime I have to sit through some white rock band or what have you, uh, you know, do an ironic cover of a rap song, I always... Uh, you know, a part of me dies. It's just, it's like, I just, I'm not into that. I'm not into the ironic art. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, you know, back when we used to make t-shirts that spoofed name brands in the nineties, like that was funny and shit, but that shit's dead to me now. It's like, now I, 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 I just, you know, what's, what's, what's the message? What are you delivering through that? What are you doing? What are you, what are you, what, what is your, what are you communicating to your audience when you do that shit? Nothing. You're just trying to get people to look at you. And if you, and if it's really, you know, and, and so technically you're doing a very passive version of shock value and that's bullshit. So if you want to, if you want to shock me, fucking shock me, go in, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but like, again, when I, when I see, when I see these white rock bands or, 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 or even pop bands do these covers specifically of gangster rap, that shit is corny to me. Like I, 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 you know, you know, that's a, that's a classic fucking song, you know, like, you know, you don't, you don't see fucking rappers covering fucking Neil Young greats. And there's a fucking reason for that. Like there's a, there's I, I, could see, I could see Murr's covering some Neil Young actually. Yeah. But he wouldn't do it sarcastically. If he did it, he'd do it because he meant it. You know what I'm saying? Actually, you have some sort of Neil Young shit as well. And, and whenever to me has some Pink Floyd actually in there. But it's not sarcastic. I'm not no, doing it as a true. parody or as a joke or as a as a look at look at this dumb thing I'm doing. I don't know if you remember Balloon Guy. I covered a Balloon Guy song once on purpose. I, I, I know I, Balloon Guy. I, I murdered I, it. I knew. I went. I worked at Northern Lights with Balloon Guy, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I covered one. Of, I covered one of his songs. Uh, Steve Bjorklund. His- also, he was at the my first punk rock recording session from Balloon Guy. We're getting deep. Um. Mers, I, I I wanted you to I wanted you to speak on it because it's such an iconic, like growing up in Southern California, and then hearing these horrible Texas crackers make make this song. Cover yeah, I can't song. I can't use I can't use that word, but uh, yeah, fuck those guys and fuck that. Um, yeah, I never heard that shit. I'd heard of that, but I never, um, you know, I never. Uh, yeah, that song like literally like you know changed my life um for people who find it amusing um at the time i was living in linwood california you were living in inglewood you said you, like, you... linwood california linwood sorry yeah so the crack epidemic was at like it, it's it's rising to the top at the moment you know like the house around the corner from me got knocked down with the batter ram like shit was happening that I didn't know was happening. This is before gangster rap. And I, once the NWA came out and gangster rap came out, I thought everywhere was like LA and that's untrue. 
But before that, I had no idea that people knew what was going on and that just we could make it, man. Like hearing Boys in the Hood, like I was like, whoa, like just hearing somebody say the word Alpine, to hear someone use the N-word, to just all of it. To know someone with the Jerry Curl was going to be on TV, to go to the fucking white, like all that, it, that, that song's kick-started a revolution, um, which I don't want to get too much into, but uh, yeah, man, so to see someone uh, make fun of it or, or make light of it is ridiculous, but that's all we've ever been to white America in some parts of it, especially in parts of Texas, is amusement and jokes, and it's funny. Um, and I think that uh, hip hop bears some of the burden because there's a people that are still doing a lot of people still doing gangster rap are making a mockery of E as well. Um, so I I think that uh you know they're they're not out of line but they're out of line. Um, yeah, fuck those guys. If I, I mean, when, that before. when Slug said you know it's like passive provocation. To me, the passiveness of it the casualness of it. It's like the song equivalent of like when white people don't think black people are around and they're talking. Do you know what I mean? By the way, part of why we're doing this podcast is, is like we're choosing the worst covers we've ever heard. And we hit this one and I'm like, this is actually, it's profound in its badness. Like it's actually encapsulating a lot of shit in society that is fucked up. Yeah, and I think too, and also it's the 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 musical, like when it went into the like cruising down the street. There was no music; they didn't change the music right there. That's a dynamic part of the song. Like so musically, we, they they could they could have switched some shit up and like at least got some musical props from me if they would have respect the integrity of the original composition. And um, they they didn't because they're dicks. you know my. my my thing with that kind of shit is this. If you're going to step outside of your, if you're going to step outside of what you do to cover or to um, fuse something together, to, to juxtapose, to, to make fusion, then you better be a master of what you do already. You know, I, I, if you have mastered what you've done and then you can bring your mastery of that to the table to try this using what you've mastered, I get it. And I don't have to listen to the rest of their catalog to know, nah, they, they got no business doing this yet. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Now, if, if somebody like a, a, you know, fucking Tom Waits or... Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, Prince or somebody who's mastered their shit were to step in and try to do something, then at least I could respect it from the space of like, okay, you're bringing what you do to this and in reinterpreting this song through what you do. But it, but these dudes weren't even doing that. You know what I'm saying? They were doing like a, I mean, it, it reminded me of that, that, what's that song that uh, that's in the Shrek What's the Shrek? Uh, um, hallelujah. Whatever. Is that the, the Jeff Buckley song. ladies or some shit? Oh. No, 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 no. No, the, whatever the, the Shrek theme song to the, to the cartoon Shrek. Uh, it's a big hit the kids love. It's a kid. It's like a kid song. It, 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 
Is it kind of, I don't fucking know, man. Whoever. Uh, 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 or what about that, uh, that macaroni in my head? Whatever that, you know, that somebody once told me the macaroni's loser on my head or some shit like that. It's like that kind of <laughs> shit to me, man. Like, it, like, 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 that's what these guys reminded me of, you know? And I want to say something like, hey, you know, I don't want to go too hard on these people because I don't know who they are and I don't know what their lives are like and I don't know what kind of struggles they're dealing with. This could have just been a really bad idea. And, 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 and we're all capable of, of bad ideas. It's just that, you know, most of us, we keep people around us to tell us that this is a bad idea. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? And, and there was nobody around to tell these guys that this was a bad idea. Don't do that. Well, not only that, they encourage it. They put it on the radio. I think, I, I believe, un, unedited. And it became this like This was a, on the radio? It was on the radio and it was a top alternative rock hit. And they got to, they got to slap hose and shit like that on the yeah, radio? N-word, the radio, slap hose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the radio won't even Grab play a week. my shit. Yeah, I, to me, it. I found it so shocking when I revisited it, and and and, and again, getting back to to Mers, what struck me at the time too was you know how like Yella is scratching in like current hits of the day on the on the original. Yeah, like that was like him making those swap meet tapes with Ice Cube. You know what I mean? Like that was like an actual expression of like what was immediate like there were no records where like people were scratching in records that were out you know what i mean that was it was it was it it evolved out of something that was real and and then it 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 it, it fucked me up it fucked me up when it came out and then it fucked me up to think about it again yeah that's a well i blame you you blame me? You made me hear it. I've never heard of this. Yeah, I blame you. I've never had to hear this before. I didn't know this existed. And now I have to know this fucking thing exists. And, you know, that's, 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 that's likely why I, that's likely why I kind of have a little bit of attitude towards you right now. <laughs> I, I, I will take that. So shall we move on? Do you have any last thoughts on that, Merz? No, I'm good. Rest in peace, Easy e Rest in peace. Yeah. Me and him share a birthday. This event was created by Morris Bernstein and Matt Deal. Produced by Sean Lewis and Esther Yoon. Theme music by Jeremy Clark, a.k.a. Mr. 66. Artwork by Bill McMullen, a.k.a. Millions Make Millions. If you want to tell us how much you love or hate, disinfect, or wish to purchase an extremely overpriced commemorative mug, oven mitt, or t-shirt, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and disinfectpodcast.com. You can also contact us at info at disinfectpodcast.com. Please like, subscribe, donate, all that shit. Thank you and see you next episode to disinfect more of music's worst songs. Wherever fine podcasts are shilled, 
copyright, giant step 2020, and whatever other necessary boilerplate, legal mumbo jumbo, blah, 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 you hear at the end of your favorite podcast.